Hey, how you doing? I'm Steve Full, and thanks for listening. This time, let's find out what it's like being freelance for infographics designer Caroline Bevan. I'm perfectly happy to work weekends. I'll happily work Saturdays and Sundays if it comes to it, if it needs to be done to, to meet deadlines, to, to actually get the work done. One of the things I'm, I'm quite bad at is not grabbing those moments of time off when they appear. Just going along to an event and just talking to one person can make such a difference. So yes, there's Caroline, the first niche-specific infographics designer I think we've spoken to. Uh, but remember, it's not about the, I don't know, the technical aspects of any specific role, but more about the being freelance, hence the name. There's over 100 episodes that you can listen to now. Spread the word, please do, of both this and the vlog where I document what I'm up to as a freelancer. But for now, let's crack on and say hello to freelance infographic designer, Caroline Bevan. Hey, Caroline. Hello, how are you? I am well, uh, and all the better for talking to you. Oh. Uh, <laughs> thank you for, for doing this. So, uh, as ever, let's get started hearing about how you got started being freelance. Well, I had a real career change. So I used to work in commercial radio. So I was a radio newsreader and a radio presenter for like 12 years. And then the station I worked for was having cutbacks. Uh, this was around 2009. So uh, my job was made redundant. At that point, I had what I thought was the best job in the world. Um, I was a music journalist for a rock station. So it was just like when you were 14 years old, it was like the dream job. Um, so after when that job went, I thought, actually, I don't think I want to stay in this industry anymore. I feel like I've peaked. So I decided to go back to university to do a master's in online journalism, thinking I'd end up working for somebody's website or doing blogging or something like that. And as part of that course, there was a module on data journalism. Really enjoyed it, really got into it. So when I finished my master's, which I did full time, I got really into doing sort of data design and infographics and, and basically using graphics to tell stories. Because of my final project, I got some, some people that I'd been in touch with during my master's saying, well, could you do that for us? And I said, well, yeah, I could give it a go. So I did a couple of bits and pieces for, for people while I was still studying. And when I finished my master's, that work just continued and it just spiralled from there. So that was, um, so I've been freelancing about six years and yeah, I, I kind of fell into it by accident, um, but it's gone really well. So I'm not going to change it. <laughs> Wow. So um, so what, So six years where you've been doing infographics? Yes. When I first finished my master's, I was doing a mix of things, really. So I was doing infographics. I was doing some data visualization work. I was also doing social media work for people. I had one of those jobs where I just would take everything from anybody. So because I did social media for my master's as well, I was doing some Facebook work for people, some Twitter, you know, social media marketing. But it was really the infographics and the data that... I sort of found my niche because at that point everybody was doing social media and social media marketing. So I, I found a niche and that's what I really, one, one, I really enjoyed it. And two, I realized this is actually quite a nifty little corner of, of content that a lot of other people weren't doing. And because I had a journalism background and I taught myself graphic design, I could really bring those two skills together and offer something that was quite unique, I think. So how did you go about telling people about that? It was all word of mouth. It was really, it was really handy. So I, one of, one of my first clients while I was still a student, actually, was a couple of guys who work for a local authority up in the Midlands where I'm from. And they saw my work when I was a student. They asked me to do some work for them. I did. It was great. It went really well. And it turns out that those guys are incredibly well connected 
in the, <laughs> in the local authority press PR marketing circles. That that I found out that that whole um, sector, that community of people, have forums and meetups and conferences. So I managed to purely by accident get in and do some work for two incredibly well-connected people and they told everybody about me and I'm still getting people today six years later saying oh Sansa Sansa told me about you yes um, that was from six <laughs> years ago so I've one thing I've really found is a lot of my work comes from a few key people so local authorities was mainly from those two guys I also did a lot of work in the arts and um, yeah sort of mainly, mainly the arts sector because again I came across a contact who was incredibly well connected, who um, told everybody about me, and it just went on from there. It was, uh, it was very lucky, but I, I definitely think trying to find those, those influencers. I know it's a, a cheesy phrase, but those influencers are really can make a difference, even though it was purely by accident that I came across them. <laughs> So were they working within local authorities, like where you were, or local authorities across the country? Right? They they were working in a local authority in up in the West Midlands. Uh, so they were actually very close to where I where I was based as a student. And so I just came across them through. I think it was. It, it might, I may have met them at a social media meetup or some kind of community meetup to do with social media I think and so I came across the, these two guys just got chatting over a coffee and I said oh I'm studying infographics and they were like we love infographics can you do something for us I was like yeah sure no problem so I did that and it just went on from there but because they were connected in all these forums and communities with other press and PR local authority people around the country my name just got out to people and I've had people suddenly had people from Cambridge and Scotland and Wales and just just <laughs> emailing me saying we've heard about you somebody posted on a forum about you we need you so it was great it just worked I, I got very lucky very lucky and very very grateful to those people yeah it feels that way but <laughs> equally you put yourself out there and went to that thing and then said the right things to them and then built the relationship and yes oh I mean I think one, one of my theories has always been one of my philosophies has always been you make your own luck I think you have to be in the right place for good things to happen to you. And so, yes, I've always been one for trying to trying to put myself in as many good situations as possible to where I can hopefully meet some interesting people. But I really hate networking events, like really, really <laughs> hate them. You know where you turn up and everyone's clutching their business cards and they just get given out and you, you leave with business cards for things that you have no intention of ever using. So I, I try and avoid networking events, but where there's an event where there's either booze or coffee or cake or food or some, something where there's something else to do as opposed to just give your business cards to people. I quite like that. And then meet somebody, have a chat to them and see how it goes. But yeah, I hate that idea of going into a room and just trying to meet as many people as possible. I find that quite cringy. Yeah. Is it when you go to those things out of interest, what are you like, what do you wear? Because, <laughs> because when I go to them, I find them so full of people in suits. Oh, I always get it wrong. I always get it wrong. So the times when I've 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 made an effort and dusted off my suit, which I never wear because I I'm a freelancer. Um, I've, <laughs> I've 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 walked in and everyone's in like hoodies and jeans, and I think oh, oh for God's no. sake. Um, so now I kind of go down the middle. So black jeans, black top, black leather jacket. And it's like a, a, a smartish leather jacket. So then it can be casual or not. So I just go down the middle. And that's my standard uniform now, really, for everything. Because that will get you a, pair, a good pair of, mm. pair, pair of black jeans will take you a long way. 
Yeah, I need a black leather jacket. Except for I'll go in and I'll look like the Fonz or something. <laughs> There's nothing wrong with that. Like, like, hey. rather, I won't have the enigma of the Fonz. <laughs> I'll just look like him uh, at a Halloween party. Um, uh, cool. So suddenly you've got yourself a freelance infographic design business. Like, Did it feel like a business at that point? Um, no, it all felt very... Um let me think. It all felt, felt very organic, actually, because the probably for the first year, maybe two years I was freelancing, I was doing other bits and bobs. So I was, yes, I really wanted to do infographics and data visualization, which is essentially just turning numbers into really interesting charts and graphs and pictures. But I was also doing, you know, social media marketing for a few small companies. I was still doing the odd radio shift if my old station needed somebody to cover. So I was I was doing bits and bobs. But over those two years, the other bits just fell away. And I managed to build up the work that I liked, the work I wanted to do. And probably by probably a, a good, maybe a year and a half into it, I was just doing infographics and just doing, doing data visualization. And um, yeah, I, th- I think that was, that, that was definitely a, uh, probably a subconscious move where I just wasn't really enjoying doing social media work mm. anymore. And it just was starting to, uh, it was getting quite cynical. And a few of the companies I was working for were asking me to do, um, not not sketchy things, but things I didn't particularly like, buying Facebook followers and buying Twitter followers. And I was like, that's not, mm. you make your content yeah. good and people will follow you. Don't um, don't try and buy audiences. And my, my passion's always been content. So it was natural that I would go towards the, the creating content as opposed to the number crunching of freelance of um facebook followers <laughs> yeah it can i mean i suppose it's easy uh to say no to stuff that you morally don't agree with but uh in terms of you know the social media gigs or the radio news reading gigs it it must have been tempting to keep just saying yes because hey you know money in the bank but but it sounds like you yeah managed to say no yeah i, I managed to I don't remember actually saying no to many of those things. I think I just wasn't putting myself in, in those positions anymore where, where those were available. I think the radio um, the radio gigs stopped because the station um, eventually moved away and um, I stopped working for them completely. The social media work, I, I think because I wasn't really talking to people about the social media work I was doing, everything I was talking about on, on Twitter and Facebook and Instagram and everything was infographics was data visualization so that's what generated probably people got to know me for that as opposed to oh that's the girl that does facebook marketing um so i think i probably subconsciously was taking myself out of that association anyway i think i was just becoming really well known for that other thing that um that was quite rare at that point how did you handle pricing (laughs) uh that's really really um it's really difficult. It's really tricky. I yeah. realised that I'm sure like most freelancers that I massively underpriced myself at the start. And I look back now and think, what was I thinking? Um, but also one of my theories was that I was still learning. So I was, you know, I was teaching myself Illustrator. I was teaching myself um, some of these other tools that I was using for data visualization. I was teaching myself, you know, statistics and some of these other skills I needed. So I think a lot of the, a lot of the work I was doing, I was learning on the job. So I don't feel too bad that I was under I, I was undercharging clients for it because actually I spent a lot of the time brushing up my skills anyway. But a lot of it was was just guess and see if a client was happy with it, and if so, <laughs> then I went with it. Um, but also there is, and it's something I still do today because because of the kind of work I do, it can be really random. So 
no two jobs are the same. And, you know, no two jobs have the same deadline, the same, uh, the same pressures, the same amount of content, the same complexity. Each one can be different. So I sit down in front of a spreadsheet and I just, I first figure I think if I write it down and I look at it and I think, do I feel right charging that? Does that make me feel a bit queasy? Does that make me feel like I'm charging too much? Do I think, actually, no, that's, that's not, and then drop it down a bit to the point where I feel like I'm happy to charge it. And that's something I've always, I've always tried to do is, is be happy with what I'm charging. And now, because I've been doing it for six years, I, I still get caught out. I'm sure everybody does where you come to the end of a job and think, what? I just got completely stuffed there. I got completely, I totally underestimated the work or there was something that I didn't quite, something I'd missed or I didn't quite understand that I'd have to work. I didn't th- predict having to work so many weekends, for example, on it. Um, but there, as long as I'm, at the start, as long as I don't feel particularly either queasy or that I'm under, underselling myself, then I, that's, what I'll, that's what I'll charge. Plus it can differ depending on the client as well and who it is. You know, bigger, bigger organizations have more money. So a bigger number will make them feel less. They won't even bat an eyelid at some, you know, larger, mm. larger figures. Whereas small organizations that I really want to work with, I'll maybe do them a deal. Yeah. You, I mean, you mentioned working at weekends there. <laughs> How have you found sort of managing your time? I'm terrible at that. I'm really terrible at, ma- at managing. Um, I, one of the things I'm, I'm quite bad at is not grabbing those moments of time off when they appear so I, I I'm perfectly happy to work weekends I'll happily work Saturdays and Sundays if it if it comes to it if it needs if it needs to be done to to meet deadlines to, to actually get the work done where I where I am very bad is it if I walk into the office on a Wednesday and I'd say I'm waiting for feedback from three different clients so I've, physically there's nothing I can do on client work at that particular moment I'll sit at my computer for the next four hours, just clicking on emails and doing bits and bobs. Whereas actually I could have taken the morning off or I could have taken the day off. So that's one thing that I'm trying to get better now. And one of my resolutions for next year is to, you know, randomly take a half day off if, if it just presents itself and, and stop trying to fill days with work because I've worked enough weekends to probably earn a few Wednesdays off. <laughs> yes, I like that. Although don't wait till next year. Do it next month. Do it next month, absolutely. Next week. <laughs> Do it tomorrow. Have tomorrow off. <laughs> um, you mentioned an office there. Yeah. I mean, have you always worked from an office uh, or did you work from home? No. So when I, um, so I, I relocated last year and I, I lived in Birmingham up until June last year and I moved down to Brighton uh, at that point. And when I was in Birmingham, I started off working from home. Um, but then... I, that just the usual thing where I just started to climb the walls a little bit and I I've never really been one for putting the TV on and suddenly you're watching daytime television and you're not working for me the problem was that I'd get up in the morning I'd start working and then I'd find myself still working at 10 o'clock at night and because I've mixed throughout my day I've done some laundry and I've popped to the shops and so suddenly my work day has been stretched out from seven in the morning to ten at night whereas actually if I could have condensed it I would have got the same amount of work done so a couple of times when I was in Birmingham I tried co-working spaces and actually the the best setup for me uh, was when I rented a desk from a friend's company they had an empty desk they said we need some more people in the office so I, I rented a desk from them so I was in somebody else's company just sitting in the corner I guess a bit like the office cat where I'd just turn up every day and I, you know, I was in the tea rounds and we'd get biscuits and I even went 
to their Christmas party. But it was it was really nice to be part of somebody else's team without getting involved in the politics and the the company side of it. So now I'm in Brighton. The first thing I did when I got here was join a co-working space because I didn't know anybody when I got here. So it was the, the ideal opportunity to suddenly meet lots of people, somewhere to go. Um, and yeah, it, was, it, 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 it works out really well. I did have a spell over the winter where I actually moved back into the flat and I was working from, from my flat, but um, we're having a lot of building work done. So that became impossible when you've got kitchens being fitted around you as you're trying to work it was just impossible so back to the co-working space and now I'm there full-time so I have a a full-time permanent desk and it's yeah best thing I ever did it's wonderful Mm. it must have been pretty daunting moving uh so for people listening uh, around the world Birmingham is like in the middle of the UK. Brighton is probably a couple of hundred miles right, could right down the bottom, uh, <laughs> right, beautiful on the coast. Yes. Um, so, so it's a good few hours drive. Uh, so you, you know, you're not going to be mixing with the same people, be it friends or businesses, for that matter. No, it it, it was really daunting. I, I always wanted to move to Brighton. I came to university here way, way back in the mid nineties. So I always said I wanted to move back at some point. But then my radio career took off and then I was freelancing and I was very nervous because a lot of my clients when I was first freelancing were based in the West Midlands where um, in Birmingham and the surrounding area. And I just felt really nervous about moving, even though I rarely saw those people face to face. It was all on, you know, um, it was all on Skype or phone calls or just email. I would occasionally run into them at a, a meetup or a coffee event or some kind of you know some kind of event happening in Birmingham so my feeling was that as soon as I moved away everybody would forget that I existed and all the work would dry up that actually put me off moving for a couple of years and then eventually I sat down with with I went through all my invoices over the past you know past a year and a half and I realized that probably 20% of my customers were based in the West Midlands by that point the rest were around the country. There were people overseas, and actually, all of those, all of those, even those local clients were people I hadn't seen for probably six six months anyway. So I knew that work would still be there, and they were regular returning clients. So I thought, now's the time. Now's the time I can actually move without it jeopardising anything. And there has literally been no problem at all. I've gotten fresh work when I got here, and I've and because I'm closer to London now as well, that's made um, the London. London thing easier, even though I don't go to London as much as I thought I would, because getting to London from Brighton is actually really difficult. But it's certainly brought new clients to me, and I've not lost any any of my clients from the Midlands either. So it was, uh, yeah, it's, it, I'm, I'm glad I held off. I'm glad I was more secure before I moved. But mm. now I have moved, I, I think, yeah, that was that was the, the definitely the right thing to do. How did you go about finding the new clients? Again, pretty much what I did in Birmingham, I realised a lot of my clients in Birmingham came from going to things. So as soon as I got to Brighton, I joined uh, a big co-working space where there were lots and lots of freelancers, lots of creatives, lots of um, programmers and very clever computery types. But also I joined the local Chamber of Commerce and I joined an organisation called Wide Sussex, which is similar, similar to the Chamber of Commerce in that they put events on and they have workshops and sessions. and But geared up more towards the digital and communications and marketing sector. So I joined all of those things and just went to everything that there was, everything that was relevant and just got to meet people. You know, sometimes with 
with events like that, you walk in and you're feeling very confident and you'll chat to people. There's been a few times where I've wandered into an event and it, I've just not been feeling it. And I've sort of sat in the corner with a glass of cheap white wine in my hand and just thought, this isn't working tonight. I'm just going to go home. <laughs> this isn't, I'm not, I'm not at my best today. I'm not going to try and talk to anybody right now. But I think just, you know, just going along to, to an event and just talking to one person can make such a difference and often you know that one person I've spoken to has been really interesting and we've you know I've made friends that way and I've um I've made business contacts that way and I've got work that way so just going to as many things as possible and taking it easy at each one instead of trying to go to an event and meet everybody just meet a couple of people so yes meet going to things has been been the best best option and a co-working space I would suggest to anybody joining a co-working space because it's the best way to meet people yeah, especially if you're in a cool environment, though. That's the thing, isn't it? It, like, it does help, yeah. <laughs> yeah, like if you're in a big enough town, a big enough city, the right mix of people and uh, and the atmosphere that you want to work in. I, I think so. I mean, and I've, I've spoken to people who work in, in smaller towns or remote places, and even they've got a solution where they, instead of, instead of having a co-working space they can go to, instead they'll meet at a coffee shop every Friday morning for a couple of hours and they'll all take their laptops and they'll sit around and I know this happens in Birmingham quite a lot where there aren't um, as many co-working spaces as there are down here where people will meet up on a Friday morning and just have you know just do work but sit in a coffee shop and do it and it's actually a really nice way to get out the house meet some people maybe meet some new people and it's just that sitting there with with people that you like and you're comfortable with you don't have to sit and talk you can just sit and do your work but sitting next to somebody else is a really nice way to do it so yeah I just say get out there and meet people and I'm sure it's very daunting for a lot of people I'm not particularly shy so it it helps that um, I can walk into a room and just go hello you know as long as you're there for a reason you can I'll happily go and talk to somebody but yeah I think trying to get along to as many events as possible is is the best way to to integrate into a into a new place Excellent. So what would you say has been the biggest challenge? Because it all sounds like it's gone pretty swimmingly. Um, just workload. Workload. It, it's actually it's really interesting that we're, we're speaking now because last week, I think, was possibly my hardest week. I've been incredibly busy for months and all my friends all say, have you taken that holiday yet? And I'll go, no, 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 no. Next month, I'll take some time off. And I've been saying that for probably since I moved to Brighton. Um, so that's about 18 months ago. So I've been heading towards maybe not burnout, but I've certainly been been pushing it too hard and burning the candle at both ends and possibly in the middle. And then last week I had a particularly um, high stress 48 hours where there was a you know, last minute project and very, very high pressure. And um, it was incredibly stressful. And Thursday was pretty much a write-off because I walked into the office, put my email on, um, opened it up and just went, no, nope, not today. I don't think I can answer any of those emails today. Don't, my brain just wouldn't. And I, I think I hit burnout last week. So that's been the hardest thing is actually making myself take breaks because I'm really bad at it because I actually really enjoy my job. So I will push it and I will work very long hours, early mornings, late nights, weekends. And that's been the hardest thing is trying to mm. make myself take time off and say no to things. And it's a lesson I think I learned last week just yeah, much against my will. I was like, oh, I must take a day off. It's not so. It's not so much the f- the fear of the work not coming back. If you were to say no, it's more the fact that actually you you think, oh, that looks like a good project. Actually, I'll do that. Yes, that's it. And it's um, because I'm getting such interesting work. 
Um, mm. I mean, I think there is maybe a little bit of a fear of um, this might all go away one day. But I think mainly it's I hate saying no to people. I hate t- letting people down. And there's there are some projects recently that I've I've just not fancied doing. So I've. I've said, I'm sorry, I can't take that on right now. But then one of my favorite clients got in touch yesterday. You know, the next three weeks for me are pretty jam-packed, but this client got in touch and went, any chance? And I was like, oh, go on then. I'll squeeze, I'll, <laughs> I'll squeeze you in. There goes Sunday morning, you know. But that's that. That's what I do because I, I really like working for a lot of these clients. And actually, that's something that I need to get better at is saying, no, I can't. Or can we do it another time? You know, can we delay it? Can we do it next month? But yeah, I will just, uh, I will just go, go on then. I'll just squeeze another one in. <laughs> yeah. Do you tend to work to their deadlines or do you say, well, actually it will have to be then or? Uh, it, it depends. I mean, sometimes if often clients come to me and have a deadline in mind anyway, because they've got a print deadline or they've got a an event or an annual report or a meeting or something that they have to go to. So they come to me and say, we need it by this point. And there are times when I have said to clients, that's just not going to happen. I'm really sorry. It, it physically cannot be done. Um, I haven't said that as much as I should have done. There's a few jobs I've taken on that I shouldn't have even attempted. But I, I did it, but I had to pull a few all-nighters to, to get it done. Um, with some clients now, I'm starting to say, is that a hard deadline? Or is that just a deadline that, you, you know, would you, would you like it by next Friday or does it have to be done? by next Friday and often they'll say actually it could be done by the week after so I, I do a bit of a, a shuffle around but again that's something that I'm getting better at is giving a bit of pushback and if they say no it has to be done by Friday then I'll I'll make a decision on whether it's it's possible to do normally I'll go oh, okay go on then I'll try and do it for, <laughs> I'll try and do it for you but uh yeah it's often my clients don't really have flexible deadlines there's there's a reason they're getting in touch with me it's normally because they have something they need it for a particular event or a particular deadline. And how about the admin side of the business? So you've got the social bit nailed, clearly plenty of work coming in, but you're enjoying the work. So then the struggle can be staying on top of, I don't know, the paperwork. Oh, I hate all that stuff. So the, the, re- the way I've, um, I've got around that, it, it's something I realised very early on, is I like to be distant from the invoicing. I am not a fan of being the person that's, has to chase the invoices do all the paperwork and because I do a lot of work for local authorities there's always those forms you have to fill in to become a supplier so you know they send you through a four a, a four page word word template f- form which is just the worst things to fill in so um, very early on I had a virtual assistant to do those bits and bobs for me so as soon as I could afford it I found that that was a very very good investment so I've um, I've had a couple of different ones I've there's actually a, a guy I use now who's based at the same co-working space as me so actually I see him even though he's my virtual assistant he does actually exist and he does it's great when I finish a project the final piece of work is sent off to the client and then I hand it over to to James and he will send the invoice he will chase the invoice he will do the you know do the angry emails if it's needed because I like to be distant from that I like to keep a happy relationship with my clients and I don't let on that I know that they haven't paid the last invoice yet but because that's <laughs> that's, that's somebody else's department in their mind you know I, I, I prefer to keep I prefer to be the accommodating nice one I think that's that's one of my selling points I think to clients is that I'm accommodating I'm friendly I'm nice I'm not the one who's telling them off 
for not paying their invoice. So it made sense to maintain that that personality, I suppose, by having somebody else to do the the icky stuff. So that works really well. And I also have a proofreader as well because, again, staring at something for so long, I I realised that I missed spelling mistakes and I things can happen, things can things can um, text can end up being changed or moved so I have a proofreader who looks at all my work as well which is great so two people that support me and they're the bits of work I don't like doing so that made made perfect sense it's a really good idea is so is the financial bit of it the only bit that the VA does uh yes so he does the invoicing um, and he also um looks after my receipts and bits and bobs like that yeah it's great okay now I always do this thing where I ask for three facts about yourself make two true one a lie. Let me figure out the lie. What have you got for me? Okay, so um, once I had to drink eight shots of whiskey during a radio interview. <laughs> I had to. The second one is that uh, when I was five, I got lost on a family holiday and ended up in a hippie commune in Copenhagen. <laughs> <laughs> okay. And uh, the last one is that uh, when I was a student, I once made 10 cups of tea for myself in an hour because I had concussion. <laughs> <laughs> what, so you forget? Oh, okay, brilliant. Right. Um, I l- what I like about the, I was age five on a family holiday. I ended up in a hippie commune in Copenhagen. D- please tell me that the holiday was near Copenhagen and not on the Isle of Wight or something like that. <laughs> yeah just got on a ferry you know no I we, we were in Copenhagen um, and I just got separated from my parents and got lost and I was only little and I just we must have been very close it's a place called Christiania in uh, Copenhagen and it's essentially a free town so it's very kind of hippie hippie place and yeah I just wandered into there and it was like an, an hour or so later that my parents found me just with a bunch of hippies just sitting around oh going hello <laughs> I just wandered off yeah <laughs> um so eight shots of whiskey and ten cups of tea. I've also got it. So eight. Why? Why on earth would you have to do eight shots of? Was it on a news thing? It, it was. Um, I was. I was interviewing a band backstage at a festival, and they refused <laughs> to answer a question until I drank a shot of whiskey. With, oh my god! With them. So and it was a really big band. So um, I had to. I had to do it to get the interview. You had to. I had yeah, to. And I hate it to was, be rude. It was. Brilliant. It's like when you see Michael Palin in a yurt or something. It's, you know, in similar. Mongolia. Very You've similar. Got to, you've got very to drink it. Embedding with the people. So yeah. And by the end of the interview, it started off very, you know, very sensible. And then by the end, it was like, and another thing. When you did that thing with that band, yeah, it was. It was a lot of fun. But yeah, that was my um, eight shots of whiskey to just get the interview done. <laughs> And as a student, you made 10 cups of tea because in an hour because you had concussion. So therefore, you kept forgetting that you'd made yourself a cup of tea. I presume that's the... That's what happened. I got concussion playing basketball. And yes, by the time my flatmates had got back, I'd made 10 cups of tea because I kept getting up, wanting a cup of tea, making it, going to bed, wanting a cup of tea, making it. And I just left. They were all lined up in the kitchen when they got back. How many people did you live with? Uh, that was in Hall's residence, so... Because oh, I'm sitting there thinking 10 cups is a lot of cups. But yeah, okay. Hall's of residence, there might be like 10, 15, yeah, 18, were 20. About, maybe about 20 people in our halls. Yeah. So, yeah, all, and of course, students never wash up. So actually, there's there's plenty of cups. <laughs> oh, God, I don't know. Um these all sound... I mean, I don't wish to cast aspersions on your character, but no. the whiskey and the hippie... The, the, oh, no, actually, and the concussion, they all sound... 
they all sound utterly plausible. I'm I don't I can't quite pick out why how you would make up the Copenhagen story if that didn't happen. However, I can see a link between eight shots of whiskey and ten cups of tea. So I reckon the Copenhagen story is true. Eight shots of whiskey might well kill you. So I'm going to say that's the lie. No, that's true. The- oh, my God. <laughs> the Copenhagen story was made up. <laughs> Please tell me you made it up after you drunk the eight shots of whiskey. <laughs> <laughs> and drunk the ten, t- ten cups of tea. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Wow. Completely made up. Well, <laughs> I have not been that badly kicked for a long time. <laughs> well done. Congratulations. You are a superb liar. Thank you very For somebody much. Who, ha- who used to have to tell the truth for a living on the radio. <laughs> now, if you could tell your younger self one thing about being freelance, what would that be? Um, I think, you know what? I think I'd, I'd tell my younger self, you're doing okay, kid. And I know that's not exactly what you want, but I was trying to think of of things I would tell my younger self. And actually, I, I'm really pleased with how everything's gone. So I don't think there's anything that I would I would change. I think if I'd moved house sooner, it would have maybe not worked out. If I had turned down lots of work earlier on, I think I wouldn't be where I am now. So I'm really I'm really mm. pleased with how it's gone. And I know that's probably very smug, but I I I'd, 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 I'd probably go, <laughs> yeah, you you're doing all right, and it's probably it's going to be okay. It's going. To, it's going to be yeah, okay. But you, okay. But both of those, uh, you're doing okay, kid, and it's going to be okay. Suggest that perhaps you thought it wasn't. Yeah, I suppose that's. that's, that's I suppose there has been certainly nerves about. Um, am I? Am I? Uh, is the work going to keep coming? I was never really scared about freelancing. My dad worked for himself for years, so I've I've always seen that how that can work and it's possible but I think the I suppose there was there was some some doubt about I know what I'd say I'd say there is life after radio there is life after the there is life after the dream job (laughs) because at that point I was gutted when I lost that amazing job interviewing rock bands and drinking you know eight shots of whiskey backstage at festivals when that job goes you are devastated it's horrible to lose a job that you've you've worked for and you love and and you think that's it but actually I've yeah so I I, I'd I'd say to myself then it's it's going to be okay because there is life after after a job like that going back to university was taking a year off and doing a master's was a fantastic way to stop reset have a think and just learn some new skills and meet some new people and do something fun for a year and my redundancy from from radio helped pay for my masters and to take a year off so I'd, I'd say to anybody who's been made redundant don't automatically think you need to stay in the same field unless you know unless you really want to and it's your passion but there are other options available and stopping and going back to university or doing some education learning some new skills was was absolutely the best thing best thing I did Caroline, thank you so much. Check out beingfreelance.com. There's links through to what Caroline is up to. By the sounds of it, frankly, if you're anywhere near Brighton, you're likely to bump into her at some point. 
at the bar. Uh, uh, so, so yeah, so don't be shy about going and saying hi. And, of course, while you're at beingfreelance.com, sign up for the newsletter, check out the vlog, and check out the, I don't know, over 100 or so other guests. Make sure you hit subscribe wherever you get them. And if you know another freelancer, spread the word. If you're off to, like, you know, some sort of social event like Caroline is, spread the word. Tell them uh, about being freelance. Go on, be a love. Right, Caroline, thank you so much, and all the best being freelance. Thank you very much. Thank you.